From the WGBH News Studios, this is The Scrum. I'm Adam Riley. Oh, that's the story of my life. No respect. No respect. It happens every election cycle. Some candidates get taken seriously. Think of Charlie Baker and Martha Coakley and Maura Healy. Meanwhile, other candidates get dismissed as irrelevant by their opponents, by the media, and by the general public. Which raises a question. Do we write off some politicians because they're just not viable? Or are they not viable because we write them off? This week on the Scrum Podcast, we tackle the question of respect in politics. Who gets it, who doesn't, and why? David Bernstein and I spoke with Evan Falchuk, the United Independent Party candidate for governor, on Tuesday. It was just a few hours before this week's gubernatorial debate here at WGBH, a debate that he was not invited to. Let's start with him. I want to start by asking you, as you walked in and followed me to the sound studios, uh, were you thinking anything along the lines of, I can't believe that I'm not going to be part of this event tonight? <laughs> well, it's it's actually the kind of thing that voters tell me all the time. They've been really ticked off uh, by the extent to which there are news organizations that say that there's basically two candidates in the race. And what voters think is they say, how did it come to be that media organizations have created new rules you know, you can qualify to be on the ballot through the process, and we worked real hard to get on the ballot. I've got a very robust campaign, 14 full-time staffers, dozens of uh, co-op students and interns who are studying political science, hundreds of volunteers, and they know what the rules are to be on the ballot. And what they don't understand is how news organizations decided that there are new rules to who voters get to hear from. Uh, so for me, it's more about the extent to which voters don't get the opportunity to hear about new voices that are bringing up important issues that matter in the daily lives of voters. And um, I can't make sense of it. It's it's a choice that these organizations make. I, I just want to push back just a little bit uh, in terms of, of uh, this idea that the media has excluded you and granted my own fault of not covering. Uh, uh, well, but let's, <laughs> let's, let's go there because, David, you and I uh, have talked about the fact that we haven't talked. I've been a candidate but, for 18 months. Sure. And this is the first time I've actually spoken with you. And there's a, there's a there's an extent to which people in journalism and in political science in particular dismiss not just my candidacy, but new voices in the process. Um, and to me, voters notice it. You know, I but can deal it, with but that. But isn't it true? I mean, I've been following and you know, putting my faults aside. But, you know, I've been following this uh, campaign and you and Jeff McCormick have been interviewed on many shows. I've been on uh, on uh, Emily Rooney's TV show here. And, not and, me. Uh, on the radio, oh, well, perhaps I, I'm wrong about that. You are. Uh, it, so. I have not been on that show. I have not been on on the record. I've been twice with Bob Oaks, once yesterday in 18 months. Um, the Boston Globe um, covers stories, and you see, or even AP, the debate with on CBS that John Keller did, where there was a long discussion about the very strange argument that Charlie and Martha had at the beginning of that debate. And at the end, it said, Independence, Evan Falchuk, Jeff McCormick, and Scott Lively also participated. That's not news. And voters who watched it read those things and they say, that didn't happen. That isn't what took place. And it is remarkable the extent to which that has become the norm. And you may not see it because in, in maybe the world that, that you're operating in, you don't understand that. But I'm out there every day meeting with voters and voters see this and they notice it and they say, I don't understand what's happening. I know that. I'm going to get a ballot when I show up on November 4th with other people. And for some reason, some people have decided that voters don't get to hear from these other candidates. Evan, as you know, the the rationale, and uh, just to be clear, I uh, you know I'm not at a level here where I 
decide who we're going to invite and who we're not going to invite. But I am aware of some of the discussions that go on. Um, the rationale, as you know, is at this stage in the campaign, either Martha Coakley or Charlie Baker are going to be the next governor of Massachusetts. You're not going to be. Scott Lively's not going to be. And Jeff McCormick isn't going to be. And therefore, voters deserve to see the two candidates, one of whom that's, will be elected. That's your opinion. Get, that, I'm saying that's the rationale for doing a two-candidate debate. Yeah. Do you think that's incorrect? That's their opinion. They're entitled to their opinion. Voters are the ones who get to choose. And this is what voters get very mad about. Look, press coverage drives polls. And I've listed all the different press coverage that said, and we pitch and pitch and pitch, as David knows, and we get ignored by so many different outlets. And yes, we've gotten a lot of press because we've been doing a lot of things that are interesting, but a lot of people aren't interested in hearing about what we have to say. I was yesterday at an independent candidate forum with Professor Maurice Cunningham, who early in the campaign called me a vanity candidate. And when, you know, you've got all these people working on these things, people who care about the future of the Commonwealth, I founded a party, which is going to be here after this election one way or the other. And no one wants to talk about the actual issues that are happening, but rather about this kind of stuff. It's remarkable to voters, to voters. All right. So when they hear that, they say, who are these news organizations that have decided who I get to hear from? Press coverage drives polls. Polls then drive debates. Debates drive more press coverage and polls. The system that, as it's been set up, is designed to create an environment in which, unless you're one of the establishment candidates, you're not going to get the type of coverage that leads to the polls that leads to this. I worry about our democracy. Don't worry about me. I'm fine. And I I still believe strongly in our ability to win this race. I know we're going to be here because we're not going away. We're not stopping after November 4th. Um, that part is, is, is important. But our democracy has always been the issue in this campaign, and it will continue to be on and after November 4th. Let me ask you, in terms of, uh, uh, of the party, you're trying to uh, argue that we need a party that combines social liberalism, essentially, or, or moderate uh, positions on social issues uh, with fiscal conservatism. I think that both Martha Coakley and and Charlie Baker are are trying to present themselves as fitting that exact description. Actually, so so how would you def- right? So how would so you let's, define let's... the need for that? That well, because I look at the voice. reality of what actually happens. So all the vague platitudes that voters hear all the time, and as you travel around the state and meet voters everywhere, people are very cynical and very ticked off because they've been lied to. And they know when it's happening and they get frustrated. And I think this is one of the reasons why media organizations are are dying. It's because people want to be able to look to the press to be watchdogs of this kind of stuff, not trying to be in a very clubbish thing. The Boston Globe on Sunday had an article about how Charlie Baker and Martha Coakley use their hands. Okay, we have a a world in which health care costs are up 170 percent over the last several years, driven by policies of both Democrats and Republicans. We have a world in which housing is not constructed, and we've laid out a very detailed Thriving Communities Action Plan at the Falchuk2014.org website. Zero coverage, because that hands story, that's a big deal. You know, we got to know that. And we got to know that only about Charlie and Martha, because God knows how I use my hands must not be relevant. But it's ridiculous. And, And of course, we can laugh about it because it's so absurd. But this is how uh, the sort of let them eat cake style of of news coverage creates this kind of disconnect between voters and elected leaders. I want to ask you in closing a question about the idea that you and other candidates are excluded from events as we draw close to the end because the political establishment, uh, including the media, somehow fears new voices that might challenge the status quo. I think that's a fair paraphrase of a point you made earlier on. Uh, Do you believe that not only you, but also Jeff McCormick and also Scott Lively in some way challenge the status quo? Uh, Or couldn't a case be made, for example, that you might be at 
this evening's debate if, say, Scott Lively, with his rather out there views on a number of issues, was not in the field. I mean, having a candidate like him who doesn't, to my eye, challenge uh, challenge the status quo right. makes it easier to well, exclude candidates like you. Let's and say I'm trying to be polite Jeff. about the decision making you guys make because I think you're right, and I think that there's a there's a laziness and a complacency and a certain degree of entitlement when it comes to our politics, where that kind of question, maybe we should have a conversation about that. But why if it's messy? I mean, I was on with Jim Browdy, and he said, are you saying that if there were 30 candidates on the ballot that you think there should be 30 people in the debate? And I said, sure, in this fantasy world in which somehow 30 people got on the ballot, they should be in a debate. And, you know, as, the, as Mass Live, that wrote a really good editorial about this, said, if organizations aren't comfortable hosting all the candidates to a debate, then they probably shouldn't be in the business of hosting debates. So all I can tell you is what I hear from voters. You know, people say all the time, I'm done donating to WGBH. I'm done donating to, WG, to WBUR because of the fact that this is the way they handle themselves when it comes to our democracy. They think of the public radio stations as being the places where we can get the real deal. But when they see that it's the same thing, man, does that turn people off. So, look, I'm not in the media business, so it's not my problem if news organizations are losing the trust and confidence of their listeners. But we need the press to be a watchdog. And I believe very strongly in that, the role that all journalists have to play in in rooting out the kind of corruption and hypocrisy and all the other things that happen. And we need our political process to work that way, too. When you're not doing that job, it it puts our democracy at risk, and we all have a responsibility to change that. Evan, I know you have to go. Are you going to run for a governor again in four years? Uh, Yeah, you got to run for re-election. (laughs) <laughs> you know, you got it. Uh, and in, in 2016, um, one way or the other, whether I'm governor or not, we're going to have lots of new independent candidates on the ballot. And let me tell you something, because we'll be here talking about it. And I'm happy to join you guys whenever you, you want to have me. Most voter, most uh, legislators run unopposed. And in 2016, that's not going to be the case because we're going to have lots of smart new candidates on the ballot supported by the United Independent Party. If we win some significant percentage of those, and I'm talking about like a quarter, we're going to be the second largest party in Massachusetts. That's an earthquake. That's a political story of great significance that's been in front of people in this field for an entire year. I've been talking about this, and everyone's been missing it. But it's going to happen one way or the other. Evan Falchuk, thank you for Thanks. being here. It was a pleasure. Appreciate it, and good luck down the home stretch. Thanks so much. Thank you. Evan Falchuk is running for governor of Massachusetts under the banner of the United Independent Party, which he founded. I'm here in the studio with Peter Kadzis and David Bernstein. Peter, you hadn't heard our, our conversation with Evan Falchuk before. What did you think? I thought he did a great Richard Nixon imitation. You know, I am a victim of the press. It would be much easier to uh, say he has a point if he had had stronger showing in the polls. It's tough to say that the press needs to bend over further backwards for him. Did you feel guilty at all? He really went after you saying, I've been trying to get you to write about me for a year and a half. I I never feel guilty. I was going to say, David is incapable of feeling guilt. All right, next up we're going to hear from Jeff McCormick, who's running for governor as a independent, another candidate who was not invited to this week's gubernatorial debate here at WGBH. Jeff, hello, and thanks for being here with the Scrum. Thank you for having me here. How frustrating is it to walk into a building where there's a big event like a debate that's going to feature Martha Coakley and Charlie Baker, but not you or Evan Falchuk or Scott Lively? Well, when you've worked all year long and you knew that earned media and debates were a critical part of a campaign strategy, 
those are kind of two big rugs they have pulled out from under you. And I do think that we have very relevant messages. I hope you believe I've got very relevant job growth experience in my life for 27 years. So, you know, we, I think both feel like it's important for us and that we didn't, you know, we didn't have an opportunity we should have had. You know, you could have run against Charlie Baker in the Republican primary. Um, Why not have had that battle and, you know, sort of showed that you could win a primary and and move on, and then you would have been part of the conversation here. Well, if you think about it, I've got, you know, progressive social views, and I also believe that you have to run things better. So you ask yourself, you know, where do you belong when you when you have that middle of the road, let's get the job done and let's take a break from the status quo, which clearly is not working. And we believe with the amount of frustration out there with the electorate, and that's still there. I mean, when you look at the polls, you know, the most recent Globe polls, when you've got close to 80 percent of the people saying the same things they said a year ago, a year and a half ago about, you know, uh, needing a break from the status quo and creating jobs and really driving forward with solutions and knowing we need to change, uh, that hasn't changed at all. Uh, But it has to come with the right message and it has to come uh, with the right messenger too. Did you think it was going to be easier to to make a go of it as an independent candidate and get the media and the general public to, to pay attention to your ideas? I thought the the media would uh, include me in more of the coverage. I didn't think it would be easy, by the way, at all. I mean, from day one, I knew that, you know, this is a tough battle. Uh, it's going to be somewhat of an uphill battle because – and the biggest battle isn't the media. It's just getting people who can make the change. The people have the vote, right, to get out of the comfort zone of either voting for the lesser of two evils or the way that they've always voted. Well, and that's an interesting point because, you know, you, you talk about the frustration that sort of uh, – that people out there express and sort of – you know, to one extent, what it does is it drives them out of the political process, and then they don't come in for you know to try to vote to change the status quo. Is it just something not in the psyche, or is it something that's become a spiral now that we can't get out of? Well, I certainly hope it's not uh, a death spiral of sorts. Uh, I and I don't think this is solely Massachusetts. You know, mm-hmm. people are you know myself included. We tend to be creatures of habit a bit, and it takes something special to get us out of our routines. And as you saw in the primary with 16% of people voting, there's a lot of disengaged people out there. Is part of the problem that that when you talk about unenrolled voters in the state or voters who, whether they're unenrolled or have a party affiliation, are not satisfied with the status quo, is part of the problem that they they aren't dissatisfied in a cohesive way, that they've all got different gripes, different turnoffs? Or am I, am I not right on that? I'm not sure, Adam, if it's that they're dissatisfied in different ways or if it's just the fact that they're just not organized, right? So they might be dissatisfied <laughs> in a lot of similar ways, but they're not a cohesive unit. You're dead on there. We're talking right now with the uh, election two weeks away. I'm wondering if you think at this late date, that you have managed, even incrementally, to shift the course of the campaign, to shift the course of the conversation that has occurred around the governor's race. Do you feel like you've you've made a difference in that regard? Yeah, well, certainly uh, this might be a comment just out of uh, to maintain my own sanity. <laughs> but but it's tough I, to do for any candidate in the last yeah, couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. But I, I certainly would hope that uh, some of the ideas and 
as I see the language of candidates have changed over over the past number of months, some of the language going back to what I was saying nine months ago or eight months ago, you know, that to me is at least uh, a sign of a positive sign. Before we, we let you go, do you think that it's been easier for parts of the media or parts of the general public to marginalize you or maybe not give you the respect as a candidate that you might think you deserve? Um, because in addition to Evan Falchuk, you're also running uh, with Scott Lively in the race. And given his sort of you know, vehemently homophobic views, he's kind of easy to, to caricature. Um, do you think that if Lively weren't in the mix, and if it was you and Evan Falchuk, that you guys would have gotten more attention and more respect? Well, I have an important announcement. My next race, I'm changing my last name to Bernstein, so I can be between Baker and Coakley. You <laughs> <laughs> heard it here and, and first, not, folks. <laughs> honestly, uh, that has not helped. Because, you know, obviously, as a man whose who's views, at least I don't uh, agree with, and and think about in the primary with all the other candidates. You know, with Avalon and Grossman and Berwick and and Fisher, I'm still next to Lively on the end, uh, and and. Certainly, that that didn't help, but that didn't turn the election either. Well, it was kind of random that all the candidates this year were at the front <laughs> of the alphabet. It was a little odd. Uh, you've been doing this now for for quite some time, and obviously, you knew, uh, like you said, a lot of the challenges for a, an independent candidate getting in. But is there anything you've learned in terms of like institutionalized or you know systemic things that could be changed to make it to make the process more open in the future? There's no question that uh, there are, you know, contribution issues that make no sense to me. Uh, you know, if you're in a party, you can take 15 <laughs> times what you can take, as, you know, for an individual. Yep, yep. I mean, to me, this is America. You know, that's just a- as it is. It's a difficult system. We all know that. Uh, and and some of the some of the behind the scenes things that you need to do, you know, financially and reporting and everything yeah. else. They spend extraordinary amounts of time on issues that we would all say are incredibly minor. Um, but again, that's part of the system. And I know it's set up with the at least the idea of the appropriate checks and balances. As again, the finish line approaches. Do you feel like as a candidate, you have received from the media and the general public the respect that, that you deserved as a candidate, or do you feel like one, one or both of those groups has disrespected you? Well, I, I think uh, both the, the electorate and the media, I, I hope anyway, that people haven't met me and said, gee, that guy doesn't you know, have good ideas and, and have a very relevant background and certainly have all of the uh, best intentions. Uh, but I, I do think that for some reason, the media treated this more like a sport, that they want to see a, a one-on-one clash versus something that you want to bring people together. And my campaign has not been this divisive, let's separate everyone from everyone. It's just the opposite. Let's bring smart, hardworking people together to solve the problems because we all agree the problems exist. Uh, not to close on a down note, but as as David said, if you don't win um, on November 4th, might you run for office again? Yeah, I would certainly be open to it, but I am so focused on November 4th to be candid uh, 
I can't even go there with my wife now. <laughs> I was just going to say, if, if there's not a vacation uh, planned with your wife soon, uh, you know, as soon after, either way, win or lose, you should have a little time off. I'd also like to reintroduce myself to my, my children who are sure. 10, 12, and Kristen's almost 13. So happy that's, birthday, that's, Kristen. That's tough to, to take on a campaign with, with kids that age. I there's no, there's yeah. no question one of the hardest parts of the campaign is the time away from family. Yeah. Jeff McCormick, thank you for being here with us today. Really appreciate it. It was good talking to you. Nice to see you both again. All right, so a bit of a different take there from Jeff McCormick than we heard from Evan Falchuk earlier. McCormick made a a vitally important point where he said the hardest thing is not breaking through the press, which admittedly is hard. The hardest thing is breaking through the people. Yeah, I I think that McCormick is still trying to plug away. I think he's a little bit more comes across as a little bit more resigned to his fate than, than Evan yeah, Falchuk definitely. maybe. But of course, Falchuk has something else to fight for, which is that 3% goal that he's trying to do to qualify his his party for another status. So, you know, McCormick, frankly, was not able uh, across the course of the campaign, I think, to differentiate himself enough from Charlie Baker uh, to to make people feel that they that he offered a really significant uh, third path. Yeah. And I also felt like watching him in the campaign, he did some of the same stuff that Tim Cahill did last time around when he was trying to make a go of it as an independent sort of identifying what looked like a potentially beneficial stance to take, even though it didn't really make sense coherently with the rest of his approach. He talked about his progressive social views, but my recollection is that he went after Baker from the right on the question of whether we should be housing those children who'd immigrated illegally to the U.S. from Central America. So if you've got progressive social views, that's not really a logical stance to take, at least to my... You know, to that point, it it didn't come across as, oh, here's a person or a party who aligns better with my sets of beliefs than these other parties or, or candidates. And then to some extent, just briefly, you know, McCormick is to a large extent a, a biography candidate, which makes sense for choosing a governor uh, that his experience fits well. But that's a difficult way to differentiate yourself as an unknown. Falchek and McCormick performed a public service by running. If they're serious men interested in the public career, they should – we should all, but they should sit back and say, why didn't we connect more? What, what is it? Is it us? Is it the public? Um, to what degree is it the media? And, and I'd encourage them to do that. It will be very interesting to see how Scott Lively does because if there is a truly radical candidate in the race, it is Scott Lively. I mean we – Myself included, sometimes make fun of him, but but he is a right wing radical conservative, um, and, and I say that actually respectfully and somewhat warily. I'll just be interested in seeing what his vote is and seeing among the three um, independent candidates, if you will, um, who ranks where. David Bernstein, and, and, and just uh, following up on that point about Scott Lively, I mean, it's e- very easy to dismiss him. And, you know, I personally think that his views and opinions range from the wrongheaded to the offensive. Well, he basically thinks everything that's bad here in Massachusetts is bad because we've got gay marriage. Well, I think it's it's broader than that. I think that yeah. it's, you know, as he 
talks about a, a biblical perspective to government. It's it's much broader than that. I, I think that's sort of the, the attention-getting piece of it, but it is broader than that. Uh, I've heard him at a, a few different uh, forums and so forth. And, and what I was going to say is he's run exactly the way that that you should run, you know, that someone should run. He uh, he did the work of getting on the ballot. He may have views that, that most of us uh, have a lot of problems with, but they seem to be his genuine views. And he's presented them respectfully, and he's out there, you know, pitching his point of view as as appropriately as he can. Now, as we shower praise on Scott Lively, we might want to note that he has, among other things, written a book saying that the Nazis were fueled by a secret gay yes. cabal. And he's also been accused of helping well, incite violence that against That's right. and, gay men and lesbians well, listen, in Africa. And, it, and, it's, so, and it's great to see that 99% of, of the audience is rejecting his message. I, I was uh, going to say. That's what democracy is there for. That's why he is the most radical candidate, <laughs> because he runs against the grain of what even most conservative Massachusetts residents are about. So did we disrespect Scott Lively by not inviting him to take part in this podcast? I hope so. (laughs) All right, that's going to do it for this week's installment of the Scrum Podcast. David Bernstein and Peter Kadzis, thank you both for being here. Glad to be here. My pleasure. Even though I'm a member of the oppressive media class. Oh, I I certainly am. I've been singled out, absolutely. No, we know that. (laughs) you got it. We also spoke with Mike Heffernan and Dave D'Arcangelo, the Republican candidates for Treasurer and Secretary of State, about what it's like to run for higher office and not get the respect or attention you might think you deserve. You can check out our interviews with both of them on the WGBH News SoundCloud account. We'll have links up at our blog, which you can always find at blogs.wgbh.org slash scrum. The Scrum team includes WGBHnews.org senior editor Peter Kadzis, WGBH political analyst David Bernstein, and producer Abby Ruzica. We had help this week from a bevy of engineers, Antonio Oleart, Alan Mattis, and Jane Kippett. Oh, and if you want to learn more about the candidates we spoke with today, be sure to check out their websites. Valchuk2014.org, that's F like Frank, A-L-C-H-U-K, 2014. jmacforgov.org, I'm Adam Riley. The Scrum is a production of WGBH News. <laughs>